Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. There was this church in which a particular man would always fall asleep every Sunday during the sermon. Not this church, some other church. <laughs> that never happens here. Um, and so the pastor decided to play a little joke on the man, and uh, it's during the sermon, and the man is there snoring away in the seat, and uh, the pastor says real quietly, if you want to go to heaven, stand up. And so everyone stands up in the whole congregation, except for the man who's sitting there in his chair sleeping, just snoring. <sighs> And then everyone sits back down, and then and the pastor, the preacher, in his loudest voice, he bangs on the pulpit and he yells, if you want to go to hell, stand up. And just then the man wakes up and jumps up on his feet and looks around, and he sees he's the only one there, and he looks at the preacher, he says, preacher, I don't know what we're voting on, but it looks like you and me are the only ones for it. Welcome to week three of our series, friends. It's called Membership Matters. During November, we're talking about what it means to be the church and what it means to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ. We are opening the New Testament for images and for understanding and insight into these things. And in week one, we said from 1 Corinthians, it tells us that we are the body of Christ. And then in week two, we read from Ephesians, which says that we are the bride of Christ And today we're reading from 2 Corinthians that Estelle read for us, which says that we are God's plan of salvation. So we're going to take this passage verse by verse. I know some of you dig this kind of teaching and preaching. Let me invite you to follow along in your Bible as I preach or on your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible app by now, friends, it's time. Uh, The year is 2022. You should have the Bible in your pocket all the time. It's, It's free. It's easy. Um, there's a Life Church produced one called the U version. It's excellent. I commend it to you. Um, so where we are now in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is talking about the new age. He's talking about uh, the coming of the kingdom of God and the new creation, which has been inaugurated by Jesus. And it has some foundations on the earth, but it has its culmination in heaven in the next life. And this work of salvation that God is giving to God's people is what Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. All right, so let's try to get our head and our heart around this. And we're in 2 Corinthians 5, starting with verse 14. Paul writes, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. All right, look at that word compels. What does that mean? Compels, it means it motivates us, right? It pushes us. It requires us to do what? Well, to do the mission. The love of Christ motivates us to do the mission that he has given us. His love is the reason for our existence. This is why the church exists. This is why we do everything that we do, because of the love of Christ, to receive it and then to share it. This is why we worship God. This is why we gather in life groups. This is why we serve our neighbors. This is why we give financially, because of the love of Christ. And I want you to notice that the practice of membership is bigger than behavior. It's not just something that you do. It's also in the heart. Yes, absolutely. And yet there is no more real outward expression of our membership 
than these things, than living out the love of Christ by worshiping and gathering in groups and serving and giving. The love of Christ compels us. Verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He died so that you may no longer live for yourself, but for him. If you have new life in Christ, friends, you no longer live for yourself. Now you live to serve Jesus and to serve your neighbor. You exist for the sake of the mission. This is why church can never be about you and about me. This is why church can never be about what you prefer or what I want or what my goal is or what your goal is. No. Jesus is the head of the church. And when you are born again in Christ, one of the things that you're set free from is your selfishness and your immaturity and the me, me, me that all of us were born with as babies, right? Isn't that the, the, the essence of childhood? Is this all about me? I cry and then you do what I want. But as you grow, we grow out of those things, right? We have spiritual maturity. So it's no longer living for yourself. It is living for Christ. Now today, uh, we are celebrating the gift of baptism, and we are celebrating the new members who are coming into this church. And one of the things that we say every time there's a baptism is we are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. We are incorporated. Do you know what incorporated means? It means gathered into one body. Corporate literally means body, right? So that's why we say corporate worship is the gathering of the body of Christ to worship God. And so we are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. We are made one body, unified, united under the headship of Jesus Christ into one community. We are not a bunch of random individuals. We are a group. We are a community. We are the body of Christ. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. If you are in Christ, friends, your entire worldview changes. It's not only your heart, your life that changes, but also the way you see the world is changing in Christ so that you see people the way God sees people. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's be honest. When we look at people, we often see their flaws and their deficiencies, don't we? We often see the ways that they affect us and annoy us personally. What does God see when he sees a person? God sees, the Bible says, a lost sheep. God sees someone who is very well-intentioned and yet left to their own devices will die and suffer. But God not only sees them as lost sheep, God also sees them as loved, right? Because God loves every person. And so when you come to Christ and when you have new life in Christ, you are given new eyes to see and you can begin to practice seeing people the way God sees people, which is lost yet loved. And if people are lost and yet they are loved, then we have a mission to reach them for the sake of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Therefore, Paul says, when the scripture writer says, therefore, it means like, okay, according to everything I've just said, because of all that, this, the new creation, 
has come. The old has gone, the new is here. We, because of all this, because we no longer live for ourselves, but instead for Jesus. Because we can see that people are not only lost, they are loved. Because Jesus has not only died, but also been raised from the dead. Because of all that, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. You know, it's fascinating. If you look at the Greek If you study this passage in the New Testament Greek, you'll notice that the way Paul writes it is, if anyone is in Christ, dot, 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 new creation. That's what it literally says. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Now, preachers love to insert the personal pronoun in here. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, she is a new creation. And that's true. But that's not exhaustive of what the passage is saying because that's too small. You see, it's not just you're a new creation and I'm a new creation, but there is a new creation. God is remaking the whole world, friends. I don't know if you can get your head around this idea, but God is redeeming all of the earth and all of heaven and especially his church. And you see the renewal and new life that comes to us personally and that we claim and we say, thank you, Jesus, for the life I have in you. That new life is a reality for entire congregations. And if you've been around this church for very long, last few years, you know that that's happening now. There is a revitalizing happening. There is a fresh spirit, a fresh wind blowing. God is making a new creation out of us. This is a corporate reality. And we could be forgiven if we failed to understand this because for a long time, the evangelical church in the western part of the world has allowed our soteriology, soteriology means the study of the doctrine of salvation, We've allowed our soteriology to really be shaped more by Western individualism born out of the Enlightenment than by the gospel of Jesus Christ in God's Word. Western culture is so very individualistic. Have you noticed this, friends? Have you noticed we say things like, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Right? And we talk about the self-made man and the self-made woman. As if you're just like a Lone Ranger, you're, you're doing it. You're, by the way, the Lone Ranger, like that's our hero, right? The Lone Ranger. Uh, we were so very individualistic. The American dream is personal success, right? Personal fulfillment. I did this all by myself. And so when the preacher stands up here and gives a very high view of the corporate reality of church, we start shifting in our seat a little bit. Because you're telling me it's not just about me and Jesus? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Salvation is not just about you and Jesus. It's about you and Jesus and the person sitting next to you. It's about this whole body of Christ that we call the church. Friends, there is no salvation without the church. We are the messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ. Think about this. How did you hear the good news of Jesus in the first place? Did God whisper in your ear? Maybe. You know what's more likely? Some person told you about Jesus, right? Maybe it was a parent or a grandparent or a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was someone, in, in a stranger in your community. Someone told you about Jesus. Where do you think we got the Bible from, friends? Where does this come from? Amazon.com, right? Well, <laughs> not really. See, this didn't fall from the sky, did it? 
No, it was written down by human beings. Men and women recorded the thoughts of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then it was transcribed and copied time after time after time. And then it was translated from the Hebrew and the Greek into the language of the people. And then it was handed down from one generation to the next, to the next, who proclaimed the word of God. You see, we are the stewards of the word of God. There's no Bible without the church. We are the ones who pass it down from one generation to the next. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian, friends. There is only Christian community. This is why you and I had such a hard time with the pandemic and the quarantine, right? Because we instinctively knew it's not good for us to be alone. We need each other. And when we are forced apart and separated, it is not well with our souls, Friends, salvation looks a lot less like some personal achievement and and a lot more like joining a team. Verse 18 and 19. Paul says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's the mercy of God, isn't it? Not count your sins against you. Friends, this is what it means to be saved according to 2 Corinthians. Okay, when you think about being saved, when you think about salvation, this is what it means according to Paul in 2 Corinthians, that you are being reconciled to God through the grace of Jesus Christ. Okay, reconciled means your relationship is being healed and put back together again. Why is that necessary? Well, think with me about the story of salvation history. In the beginning, God made a man and a woman. God put them in a garden, said, this is for you. I made it for you. Enjoy. You can do anything you want except eat from this one tree. And so what they do? Almost immediately, they ate from the fruit of that one tree. They disobeyed God, and they went their own way instead of God's way. And ever since then, every human being that's ever been born, including the sweetest, cutest, innocent-looking babies, are born with a condition called sin. And that sin has separated us from God because God is holy and we are sinful. And so how in the world can we bridge this gap? Well, here comes Jesus. God the Father sent Jesus Christ the Son into the world to heal our division, our separation from God. And Jesus is uniquely qualified to reconnect us to God because Jesus is both God and human in the mystery of God. Somehow at the same time, Jesus is fully divine and fully human, meaning he is the one who can stand in for us. And by his cross and resurrection, we can be reconciled to God. We can be reconnected to God. This is the work of Jesus Christ. Salvation means being restored to right relationship with God through the grace of Jesus Christ. By the way, this is why the doctrine of universalism makes no sense to us. I don't know if you're familiar with this idea. Universalism is the teaching of some Christians and some churches that salvation is universal, that God is necessarily going to save everyone whether they want to be saved or not. So don't worry about it because in the end, everybody is automatically saved. Now get this, friends. We pray for the salvation of all people and we work for the salvation of all people. But our, in our theology, universalism doesn't really make any sense because salvation is not being saved to a place or to a status or to a club. Salvation is being saved into a relationship, you see? And God does not force himself into relationship with people. He only invites. 
He only invites. This is why our work of evangelism doesn't really work when you try to cram Jesus down people's throat, right? Instead, you invite with love and with tenderness and compassion. God invites all people. Now, how does the invitation come to the people of the world? Well, this is where we come in, and now we are in verse 19 and verse 20. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Okay, do you understand what this means? God is entrusting to you the message of reconciliation. God is entrusting to you the message of salvation. You are the ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are the one who will tell people about Jesus that they may be saved, and the trajectory of their life would be different for eternity. Understand the, the implication, friends. This is why there's an urgency about the work of the church. Because people will die without Jesus unless you tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. You are the mediator of salvation. You are the go-between. You are the person who represents God to people and people to God, right? You pray for them. You lift them up to the Lord. Our, our, our biblical word for this is called intercession, right? Do you know what it means to intercede? It means to go in between on behalf of. And so when we intercede on behalf of people with God, we pray for them, we encourage them, we teach them the scripture, we tell them the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be a member of the church? It means to be the community of Christ's ambassadors who have been entrusted with the message of salvation. In other words, we are God's plan of salvation for the world through Jesus Christ. It would be hard for us to overstate the importance of the church in this way. It's almost impossible to overstate how important is the body of Christ. And when I say church in this sense, I don't just mean Timberlake, right? It's not like we've got the gospel and no one else does. No, that's baloney. We are part of the big C church. The church, the disciples of Jesus all around the world, every person whose heart is right with God and is living out their faith in a Christian community. Friends, understand this. This is, this is heavy. This is important. There is no Bible without the church. There is no holiness without the church. There is no salvation without the church. What do we mean by that? Well, remember, who wrote the Bible? The saints wrote the Bible, the men and women of faith and, and inspired by the Holy Spirit. They wrote it down and they passed it down from generation to generation. And now we proclaim the Bible. We proclaim God's word to the world. How does the world get the good news of the Bible? The church, right? It's your job and my job to proclaim the goodness of the word of God. There's no holiness without the church. You cannot become all that God has called you to be on your own. You need the help of other people. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. John Wesley called it social holiness. Social holiness, the idea that you and I can only become holy in our relationships with other people. We need their help. Finally, friends, that's a bold claim, but it's true. There is no salvation without the church. The church is the community that has been entrusted with the message of reconciliation to share it with the world. And you say, well, yeah, can't God save someone just individually, supernaturally? Of course. God can do whatever God wants to do. But that's not the plan that's been laid out in the Scripture, right? The plan is it's on us 
to go and to share it, to go and to tell it, to bring people. This is why we say the local church is the hope of the world, because we have the message of salvation. Friends, the church is God's plan for sharing his word through the scripture. The church is God's plan for making people more holy like Jesus. The church is God's plan for salvation. As we say, we are plan A, and there is no plan B. Right? This is it. You are the plan. And some people will point at us and they'll say, oh, yeah, but, you know, look, you know, there's, they're sinful and the church is broken and, you know, they make mistakes. And sometimes the church even hurts people. And you know what? All that is true, isn't it? All that is true. You know why? Because the church is full of sinners and hypocrites like you and me. And yet, how extraordinary is it that the Lord of heaven and earth has taken a chance on you and me? that he believes that he can use us for his purposes. Doesn't that say a lot more about the power and the grace of God than it does about our brokenness? God can use you and me, friends, to do his extraordinary work of saving the world through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so I'm inviting you to love the church, warts and all, even with all of our flaws, I'm inviting you to love the church because Jesus loves the church, And so I hope you do. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are the messengers of salvation through Christ.